Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. Appreciate the music this morning. Appreciate the offertory very much. And if you weren't aware, the words to that were in your bulletin. Probably should have announced that so that you could follow along. But it's, it's pretty familiar, so hopefully you were thinking of the words as the music was being played. Luke chapter 1, I wanted to direct your attention to verse 46 down through verse 56. Follow along with me as I read, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. We consider passages of Scripture uh, that surround the birth of Christ at Christmas time probably more than any other time of year. And I don't always preach messages just because it's, you know, a particular uh, holiday or event or whatever. But often we'll do that around Christmas time. We'll preach passages of Scripture that surround the birth of Christ. Often we consider the main characters, if you will, that are involved or affected in the story of the birth of Christ. Certainly we consider the Lord Himself, Jesus Often Mary is one who is chosen. There's Joseph, there's the shepherds, there's the wise men. You understand, we, we talk a lot about the different characters involved. One that is probably looked at more often than others is Mary herself. We would consider her sort of the leading lady, if you will, uh, in this story. We observe a lot of things about her. We see how she handled herself uh, through what would, would have been a, a very difficult point in her life. Amazing, yet very difficult point in her life. Um, you think about the emotions or the feelings that she would have felt herself or the, uh, the response that she would have had and did have from other people being found with child yet not married. Her own Joseph, who thought, for a moment that he was going to put her away privately because she was found with child and they hadn't come together. You think of all of the kinds of things that would have gone on in this situation. And we look at her and see how she handled herself through that amazing yet very difficult time of her life. You think of the months between the announcement of the birth of Christ, just the announcement itself, what a, an amazing thing that none of us have ever experienced, right? But from the time of the announcement of Christ's birth to the actual moment 
of his arrival months and months later, you, you can imagine a lot of hard and anxious waiting moments on the part of Mary and probably even Joseph as well. However, as difficult a time as that might have been and probably was in her life, it really is a blessing to see her response and see her heart of even thankfulness unto the Lord. And there's one aspect of Mary that I really haven't heard much of or heard preached on very often at all, and that's this passage right here before us. In the context of the passage here, Mary has made a journey to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who's also expecting a very special baby. It's John the Baptist. And when Mary arrives at her cousin's house and speaks to Elizabeth, Elizabeth says, and we'll look at this in a second, that the baby in her womb started leaping for joy. Look in verse 39 with me. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed." For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Notice another aspect of Mary, that she believed the Lord. Elizabeth said, blessed is she that believed. And all the things that the Lord told you is going to happen, it's going to happen. I think of the response of Elizabeth here that she tells Mary that she's blessed because she's believed the Lord and that God is going to do all that He said He would do to and through her life. And then hearing that, Mary herself, even though she's young, even though she's unmarried at this moment, pregnant, she begins to lift her voice in praise to the Lord. And that's what our text this morning is all about, is a song of praise to the Lord that Mary gives. And in doing this, we get a little glimpse into the heart that Mary has, that she is in love with the Lord herself. She also has a mind that is saturated with the Scriptures. She understands a lot of what's actually happening here. But I think the lesson that we take away from, is it, from this is that it teaches us that we can praise the Lord too in spite of circumstances that could be hard at the moment, and that God's grace is sufficient even in the most troubled times of life, we ought to praise the Lord. And Mary gives a great song of praise. This passage has come to be known as the Magnificat, and that's the Latin translation of the first few words of verse 46 where Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. The literal translation of that means this, My soul celebrates God. 
My soul celebrates the Lord. It's a hymn of praise unto the Lord. And listen, the reason that we celebrate Christmas is that Christ Jesus came into this world as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And I want to spend a few minutes this morning looking at this anthem of praise and celebrate the Lord for the very same reasons that Mary did. And that's the title of the message this morning, is Celebrate the Lord. Let's pray and then we'll look into this passage. Lord, I pray that you'd show us and teach us truth concerning yourself today. Lord, that would cause our hearts to celebrate and rejoice in you, just as Mary did. And Lord, as we look at her example, we look at the things that, she, that are drawn out in this passage. Lord, I pray that you'd fill our hearts with nothing but love and praise unto you as well. Help us to exalt you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want you to notice verses 46 to 49. We find that Mary celebrates the Lord for His grace. Mary celebrates the Lord for His grace. In verse 46, she says, My, Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. In the first few verses here of our text, Mary expresses praise to the Lord for her own salvation. For the blessings of God on her life. And in doing this, she sets an example that all of us really should follow. First of all, she rejoices in the fact that she's been redeemed. In verse 46, My soul doth magnify the Lord, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. She rejoices and celebrates the Lord for His grace in her life and the grace that came to her in, in, the, in the form of her own salvation. She's been redeemed. This is the first object for which she lifts her voice in praise to the Lord, her own salvation. Understand this, like the rest of us, Mary was born in sin. She stood in need of a Savior. Mary is not to be prayed to. Mary is not the mother of God, as the Catholic Church teaches. Mary did not have her own immaculate conception Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as is so often taught. Mary recognized the fact that she needed a Savior herself, just like the rest of us. She was born in sin and stood in need of a Savior. In verse 47, she declares her dependence upon God in heaven for that salvation. She rejoices in God, her Savior. She is simply praising the Lord for the salvation that she possessed herself. And listen, friend, you think about her circumstance of life at the moment. By all appearances, it wasn't great. In other people's eyes, it looked pretty bad, in fact. And she bore all of that. And it wasn't just a joyful, necessarily joyful time in her life as far as the, the natural order of, of, of childbirth and all of those things. 
There were some trials that she was going through, and yet she still said, in the midst of it, I rejoice in this. I celebrate God. I magnify the Lord for His grace in my life because He's my Savior. Your life might be falling apart this morning by all appearances. Or you might be struggling on the inside with things that nobody knows about And you might be in a position where you're struggling and hurting. But listen, friend, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, then you still have reason to praise the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, It is a greater thing to rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven than, to e- than, than even having power over the spirits and over the devils. It is a bigger deal than that, than the fact that you're saved. Salvation is a wonderful reason to praise the Lord. Amen. There ought to be all kinds of amens to that. I'm sure you're saying it inside. There's one that came outside. Amen. We're just going to say a bunch of amens. Think about this, friend. Because you're saved, you will never taste the wrath of God. Never, ever. Because you're saved. You think life is bad now or you've got problems in life now? Oh, it's nothing compared to what's coming in eternity for those who do not know the Lord. The wrath of God abides on those who are not saved. And because you're saved, you will never ever taste of the wrath of God. You will never stand in judgment before God. You will forever experience the presence of the Lord through all eternity. Man, this life is short. Eternity is really long. You're going to go one or two places, heaven or hell. If you're saved this morning, you're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. That's reason to rejoice. Not only that, friend, you're a child of the King right now. Right now, this very moment, you're a child of the King. And I'm simply saying that we have abundant reasons to rejoice, just like Mary did. Even at this very moment, friend, At this very moment, if you're thinking and your mind is engaged, you ought to be offering up the sacrifice of praise to the Lord right now, saying, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Some people get all down in the dumps. I know, I've happened, it's happened to me. It does happen. People say, well, pastor, you just, you don't understand what's going on right now, and I just don't have anything to praise the Lord for because of what's happening in my life. I'll ask you this question. Are you saved? Yes. Then yes, you do have reason to praise the Lord. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, makes God really big. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When you're saved and you know it, Put some rejoicing in your heart when you really stop to think about what you have in Christ. She celebrates the grace of God for the fact that she's redeemed. Now look at verse 48. 
Beyond that, she says, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Here she's been regarded. She's been regarded by who? By God. The word regarded means to turn the eyes upon. It means to gaze at with favor. What she's saying is, is that God, Almighty Creator God, has regarded me. He has looked at me with favor. Mary's saying here that I am nobody. I am nobody special. I don't deserve anything, but I'm experiencing the grace of God firsthand in my life. And she knows she doesn't deserve this wonderful favor of the Lord, and yet he does it anyway. Again, that's another reason for rejoicing. Not only are we saved when when we're so undeserving in the first place, but even now, in this very moment, we are highly favored of the Lord and accepted in the Beloved. And listen, to be regarded of God, to be regarded of the Lord is a tremendous thing, that He would look on you with any kind of favor at all. Man, we look at each other, and we like to compare ourselves and rank ourselves, and my position, and my status, and my standing, or the way I see myself compared to someone else, gives me elevation, and it gives me favor in the eyes of people. Man, you know what? There is nothing good about you, there's nothing special about you, and there's nothing special about me. That God would look on me with favor is a tremendous thing. Well, it just doesn't seem like anything is going right in my life right now, Pastor. It's nothing but problems and hard things and hurtful things. And sometimes I think, does God even really care? Have you ever said that? Felt that way at least? Let me be honest with you. That is a silly, silly carnal thing to actually say. But I'm guilty of it, okay? So you're not alone. That is a silly thing to say. And it's a carnal thing to say. To have the attitude about us that nothing's going right in my life. Does God even care? Listen, God God looks on you with so much favor and it is a slap in the face of God to think otherwise. We're not counting our blessings at that moment. I guarantee you that. We're not seeing things with spiritual eyes in those moments at all. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God's thoughts towards His people are particular and on purpose, and there is something very particular that God has in store for each and every one. From Listen, from beginning to end, that God would consider you or me in the first place is a tremendous uh, 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 demonstration of His grace. That He would have a will for my life and a purpose for my life. Psalm 40 and verse 5 says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward 
they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. God thinks of me with favor. Oh my. That's the attitude I think that Mary had. I think so often that's not the attitude we have. I think a lot of times it's the other way around that we think, well, God should recognize me for what I do and who I am. Don't you know? And we probably think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. To be thought of with favor, to be regarded of the Lord, is only of His grace. There is nothing in us to commend us to Him. And yet He still loves us. And by His grace, because of His grace, He sent His Son into this world to be the payment for our sin. As His children, He transforms us into the image of Christ. And we could go on and on and on. The point is, we are so very, very blessed of the Lord to be regarded of God. It's a reason we ought to praise Him. Man, you, you have so many blessings in your life. I have so many blessings in my life. There is really never, ever a time when it's okay to say, does God even really care? Or to feel that way. I know it's a human thing, but that doesn't make it okay. We ought to go back to the Lord with a heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry for feeling and thinking that. You are so gracious to me. Look at the second part of verse 48. She says, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. Notice what she's saying, what she's acknowledging. Even the hard trial that she is experiencing and going through, she says, the one who is mighty, God, has done to me great things. Even that trial, it's a great thing. And she's praising the Lord for it. And here she's rejoicing and celebrating the Lord because not only is she redeemed, not only has she been regarded, but here she's been rewarded. Mary realizes that God is doing something pretty wonderful in her life. After all, she's to be the means by which the God of eternity enters into human history. Wow. There's a lot of people, though, that we know in her day ridiculed her, talked about her. I mentioned this the other night. The Pharisees said to Jesus, in his adulthood, we be not born of fornication. That's an implication of how they thought about Mary. She bore that all of her life. They would have ridiculed her, talked about her. She, but she knew, according to the Word of God here, that in the days to come, 
others would look back on what the Lord did in her life and her obedience to God and know that she had been blessed by the Lord. And her reward was the fact that God would be glorified and that others would be blessed through her life. She she notes here that the Lord has done great things, but she said from henceforth, all generations shall call me blessed. Did she know exactly what she was saying? Well, I don't really know, but it seems that she was led of the Lord. The Spirit of God led her to say that. But let me make this application here. Everyone in this room, if you've been saved, and you're honest, you've got to acknowledge that the Lord has done great things in your life. I mean, think of this. Think of the change that He made in your life when you got saved. Man, for me, for me, that is a great thing that God did. I know what I was before I was saved. I know the kind of person I was. I know the life that I lived. There's a lot of things that nobody knows about. And God completely transformed my life. He's done great things. Think about the blessings that you've enjoyed in your life since the time that you were saved, the things that, that would never have come about in your life had not, had not God first reached out in grace and saved your soul. And so often we take for granted those blessings and we don't count them and look around it. Man, all of you are a blessing in my life. Think of the glory that awaits us in the future. That's becoming more and more of a thing I think about all the time in this world. The future, the glory of heaven, the glory of being with the Lord. Are you, are you, are you clicking here this morning? She's rejoicing. She said, my soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God because of His grace in my life. None of those things. All the blessings that you and I have, they don't come about except for the grace of God. Reasons we ought to rejoice and magnify the Lord and celebrate God today. Amen? I want you to look back in our text And as we move on to the next point, remember that we've been abundantly blessed. And like Mary, we have reason to praise the name of the Lord. And the question is, are we doing it as we should? Are you magnifying the Lord? Because He's worthy of it. Look at verse 50. She says, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty, empty away. Secondly, we see that Mary celebrates the Lord for His mercy. Notice that she says that in verse 50, And His mercy is on them that fear Him. 
from generation to generation. In verse 50, we see the recognition of mercy. So she celebrates the Lord for His grace. That's giving to us uh, all the things that we don't deserve. It's unmerited favor. We didn't earn it. God blesses us abundantly when we don't deserve it. That's a reason to rejoice and celebrate. But here's a big reason to celebrate and rejoice as well for God's mercy. What is mercy? Not giving us what we do deserve. She recognizes God's mercy, which is a good thing for all of us to do. And regularly we ought to remember Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. What is new every morning? His mercy is new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know what? That really, it speaks a lot of the Lord, obviously. But it speaks of us as well. That it's of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. What is mercy? Not giving us what we deserve. In other words, I deserve to be consumed. I deserve wrath. I don't get that from the Lord. But then he says the mercies of God are new every morning. What does that mean? It means that you and I continually need the mercy of God because we are forever deserving of his wrath and judgment. Doesn't it? Nehemiah 9.31 says, Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. This can be said of all of us. It's of the great mercies of the Lord that we are not utterly consumed. It's of the mercies of the Lord that He hasn't forsaken us. Why? Because he's gracious and a merciful God. So the recognition of mercy is a good thing. Mary does that, but notice the recipients of mercy. Verse 51. First of all, she says in verse 50, his mercy is on them that fear him. Those are the ones that really receive the mercy of God. Those that fear the Lord. And it's from generation to generation, meaning that it's available to anyone who fears the Lord. But then she says, He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent empty away. Mary praises the Lord because he didn't come to reach out to the proud and the mighty. In fact, God chose to reveal himself to those who were poor and humble. And in, in, in one sentence, and in one great act, listen, God completely reverses the order of society. How does society work and think? Well, those who consider themselves to be great, those who strive for power, they're exalted, the rich, the mighty. That's how society works. But those who consider themselves to be great and do not fear the Lord, they are going to be brought low. While those who trust in the Lord, even though they're poor and humble, 
are going to be exalted by their faith in God. Let me tell you something, though. This morning, things remain exactly the same. Only those who are willing to humble themselves before the Lord are those that can expect anything from God. You're here this morning and you're not saved. You don't deserve that salvation. But God in His mercy is extending it to you. And only those who are humble before the Lord will ever see the blessing of God in salvation. Those who are willing to admit their sinfulness and their offense to God and turn in repentance of it, only those can expect the Lord to keep His promise. Those who are willing to admit their need, those are the ones that can expect to have it met. But before we can expect anything from the Lord, there's got to be this willingness to humble ourselves in His sight, to understand that I don't deserve anything from God except judgment, and I've offended God, and I realize it, and it burdens my soul. And Lord, all I can do is plead for Your mercy. It's the humble and the contrite heart that the Lord doesn't despise. Sadly, the truth is this, that there's many who are going to die lost in their sin and spend eternity in hell simply because they would not humble themselves before God. But His mercy is available to anybody who would fear the Lord. That's the kind of God that He is. I think many people are like the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17 where Jesus came to them and Jesus said, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They thought they had everything that they needed. But they failed to see that they were the neediest people of all. Oh, we're rich. We're good. We've got, we've got life by the tail. Things are going good in my life. Look at all that I've created. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look where I'm going. I've got plans. I've got ambition. I've got all these things. Things are pretty good. But you can't see how poor and blind and wretched and naked you actually are. How about those who profess to know Christ, who put on this show of Christianity and they got all their ducks in a row and it looks like this family's all good and we got it together and I, I got a profession of faith, but on the inside I'm full of dead men's bones! But we'll whitewash that. Can't see how poor blind and wretched and naked we are on the inside what I'm saying is that there are people who are going to die lost in their sin because they wouldn't humble themselves before the Lord admitting what they are 
And that church in Laodicea, with all that they possessed, they still lacked actually everything. And you may have the entire world, but if you don't have Jesus Christ, you are eternally doomed. You are destitute. You are headed for eternal damnation. What does Mark 8.36 teach us? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? It teaches the value of your soul more than anything in this world. All of the world's goods together, it's not going to matter a lick in eternity if you lose your soul. And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What in this life is worth holding on to? What in this life is a reputation? Pride? What in this life is worth holding on to that you would give in exchange for your soul and die lost? Just saying Mary recognized and was praising God for His mercy. And so should we. Where would we be without the mercy of God today, right? Not giving us what we really deserve. Look at verse 54. We see the last thing here, verse 54. She says, He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Here, Mary celebrates the Lord for his faithfulness. His grace, she's redeemed. She's regarded of God, rewarded. His mercy, not giving what he, we really deserve, but thirdly, for his faithfulness. Notice the word hopen there. He hath hopen his servant Israel. It means simply to help. And it has a little bit deeper meaning to it than that, but that's its basic etymology. It means to help. But what she's doing is praising the Lord, not only for his blessings in her life, for his blessings on other generations, but she's praising the Lord for remembering to do what he promised that he would do. And you have to see it in light of the whole context here. What is actually taking place? Well, we'll get to that in just a second. But you need to understand that the focus is turning to her heritage as a Jew. Mary praised God for helping his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to them. And she's, she's briefly referring to the promises that God made to Abraham and his seed forever. And she's realizing and recognizing that what was happening to her, her condition, her being with child, the promised one was a direct fulfillment of God's promises that he made to Abraham all the way back then. She exalts his name because he didn't forget to do what he said he would do. His faithfulness. For centuries, the Jews had lived on the promise of the Lord that He would one day send a Deliverer, a Messiah, to redeem the people, to restore the nation of Israel, to bring favor with God. Jesus, the baby in her womb, was the fulfillment of those promises. 
And Mary exalts the name of the Lord for remembering to keep His promise, His faithfulness. May I remind you this morning that God still keeps His promises. He'll never allow anything that He has promised to ever go undone. The Bible says of Abraham regarding the promises of the Lord in Romans 4 and verse 20, that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That is why God can be trusted of us in every situation of life. Because he's faithful. And he always keeps his promise. Listen, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for daily provision, or any other thing, God will do what he said he will do. And listen, here's the, here's the part that, that applies to us. We need to learn to trust him in that and learn to praise him for his goodness even if the answer for it all hasn't been seen yet. That's the key. If there's one thing that we can be sure of this morning, it's this, that we can depend on God. He will never let one of His promises fall to the ground. And we have that same reason for praise this morning. There might be some of you who feel even now or at times like you've been deserted by the Lord. I don't know. But let me remind you of this. God never fails and He never lies. We read this verse this morning in Sunday school, Hebrews 13.5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have, for He hath said, that's the mighty God who's done great things, He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Never, ever. What's the very next verse? On that promise, then we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men can do unto me. The Lord is my helper, and I can boldly say it. Christian, you never need fear of God forgetting about you. We are forever impressed on His heart, sealed unto the day of redemption. Amen. And Jesus said, I'll never lose even one. What a blessed standing is ours. What reason to rejoice and praise the Lord. What a, what a great passage this is. And what a view into the life and attitude of Mary. She had a wonderful relationship with her Savior. Even though it was hard, she rejoiced and magnified the Lord. And I think that her song of praise reminds us that whether it's for grace whether it's for His mercy or for those times when the Lord proves Himself faithful in our lives, we have a God who is worthy of our faith. He is worthy of our love. 
He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. So as I wrap it up this morning, with all of that in mind, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you have the same kind of heart? Heart to celebrate and magnify the Lord. Number one, are you in a personal relationship with the mighty God? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? Number two, though, if you're saved, are you in a position in your walk with the Lord where you can truly celebrate Him? Do you? There is never a time when it's not appropriate to just bow before the Lord and worship and say thank you. Whatever you need, let the Lord have His way in your life this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, use Your Word to challenge, to draw, to compel. Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would make those applications in every life. and Maybe there's some that need to be saved. Lord, may they humble themselves before You today, pleading for Your mercy. Maybe there are Christian people who don't have the right perspective on life right now. Lord, I pray that you would use these truths from your word, Lord, to draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.